Recent research in India shows that if you actively develop your own moral and ethical identity, you can inoculate yourself from the effects of having a bad boss. As always, the solution is within you. Happy New Year! My name is Stephen Norton and you are very welcome to the Good Boss, Bad Boss podcast episode 4. Thank you for joining us as we explore the good, the bad and the ugly behaviour of bosses. This podcast seeks to entertain, educate and hopefully change some behaviour to make working life better for all. My first guest of 2019 is Brian Keegan. Brian built his own accountancy firm, the 360 Group, and he's only recently taken a step back from that. He was also founding president of Entrepreneurs Organisation Ireland and is a regular speaker at events for the likes of Enterprise Ireland and Cambridge Business School. I met Brian during my studies at the Irish Management Institute and was lucky enough to spend some time with him outside of the classroom too. We've always had great conversations about the nature of work, so he's been on my list for this podcast from the start. I knew we would have a great conversation, but I was enthralled by his story as it unfolded during the recording. I didn't realise the depth of his story before this. We touched on the challenges of youth in business, of family businesses, of leadership in good times and bad times, in building the right team around you. I'll be honest and say that most of my prepared questions went out the window, and I think this is great because it's a better listen because of that. His ability to engage and to tell a story is really apparent throughout this podcast. So, here it is. The Good Boss, Bad Boss Podcast, Episode 4. Hi Brian, you're very welcome to the Good Boss, Bad Boss podcast and thank you for inviting me to the lovely Allenswood. Definitely the nicest place I've interviewed anybody so far. It's a picturesque scenery just to paint the picture for everybody listening. Uh, we're, we're sitting looking out at the rain um, over the fields and it's uh, that nice kind of uh, space between spring and winter where where the trees are kind of dying to get going, but uh, they know they should hold off because the frost is yet to come. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit like that, isn't it? Hi, uh, happy new year to you if it's not too late. No, no, uh, it's uh, mid-January. Always okay to say that, happy new year. We, we'll get straight into it. Um, there'll be a lot of people listening to go, who, who the hell is Brian Keegan? And uh, why should he be on this podcast? I know you as a, a colleague in learning. Uh, we, we went to the IMI together and we've... Uh, we studied NLP as well with the great Michael Cahill and mm-hmm. um, here in Allenswood we, we had a, a great five months together during that as well mm-hmm. and uh, I've come to you for advice on plenty of things so that's that's mm-hmm. what I've chosen to speak to you but we'd like to know a little bit about you and if you could go right back to the beginning how, how did you get here? Right back to the beginning right back to the womb <laughs> how did I get to this point um, I left left school um my first job was in new york yeah new york city um your first job my very first job yeah yeah i left school went straight to new york um i worked on wall street um, that's your first job for a year um a lot of people would be surprised what I did. I, I, I moved furniture for... Oh, right. <laughs> for, so it for, wasn't Gordon Gecko. It wasn't Gordon Gecko. A lot of people go, oh, Wall Street. Yeah, yeah. No, I was moving furniture, scraping floors, uh, whatever laboring jobs there was going. <laughs> all right, okay. <laughs> that, was, that was where it all started for me. And after that, uh, for various reasons, I came back to Ireland, back to work in the family business. Um, my dad had a hardware short store and general store. We sold, as all the locals used to say, any, anything from an anchor to a, to a, to, um, 
a needle to an anchor. Um, builders, providers, furniture, melee kitchens, uh, water for crystal. We, we had the biggest export catalog for water for crystal to the US. We did it. You know, my dad was into everything. And yeah. It was quite a yeah, substantial business. So I came back after having my year in New York, came back and, and, and started in the business, in the family business. So you're obviously quite independent even then. To, to head off to New York at that stage. Did you have family over there or was it... Uh... No, it was a bunch of guys after school because we, we had a little bit of a train wreck of a, of a leaving cert. So uh, there was, it was a kind of get out of Dodge, kind of it was get out of town kind of scenario. Right, yeah. There was a little bit of that. <laughs> and there was about a dozen of us from, from school, from boarding school, just upped and left uh, right. and headed for New York. I think it was to get away from the wrath of our parents uh, and the disappointment that they had at that time. Um, yeah, that's why we ended up there. So, yeah, was, I don't know whether it was a, a, a break for independence or just uh, our fear of, of the wrath of our parents. <laughs> right. Very good. And then you came home and you were working with your dad in the hardware store in Kildare? Yes, that's right. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, we're talking about good boss, bad boss. He was my very first boss. Uh, right. Um, I mean, when, when I was laboring, that was a different story. But my first real in, in an organization uh, was, yeah, my dad was my, my yeah. first boss. Yeah. And, and, and you, you were working for him for how long then after that? Um, well, I, he'd called me back. Uh, I, the, the, the circumstances were not exactly normal. I was in New York and I guess I, I think I would still probably be in the States had I not been called back. Daddy was uh, given a few months to live. Oh dear. So he said, right, and he'd been calling, calling, saying, when are you coming back? When are you coming back? And then, he, and then he told me over the phone and he said, actually, I haven't got long to go. You need to come back. Wow. So I came back and we had a few months together. And in those few months, uh, you know, talk about your first boss having a major impact on you. Uh, he certainly had a major impact on me because, you know, loved him to bits, had a massive amount of respect for him and was in awe how he ran the business and how he conducted himself. And so then in, in, in those few months that we had, I would sit with him and he would teach me his values and his tips and tricks of business. Um, and I never... I never really saw myself in business. You know, in school, I certainly never saw... I was a bashful, shy kid, and I never saw myself... You wouldn't know that now. I don't. I, don't. I still am in, wee, 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 in some ways. But I never saw myself going out and, you know, being an entrepreneur, you know, starting your own business. Uh, and, yeah, sometimes, you know, you know, they talk about nurture and nature and whether yes. it's caught or taught. I think certainly he helped nurture... Um, and teach various things, particularly, you know, confidence in business and here's mm. what you can do. He was a very imaginative guy. You know, he was, he used to travel to the US, the UK, Hong Kong in the, in the 60s and 70s, bringing back wow. the craziest of ideas to little old Newbridge County, Kildare. Um, you know, so he was just full of innovation, full of ideas, Right. Um, and, and I guess I just got hooked on that from, from the very early stage. So from a boss point of view, I just landed on my feet that I did manage to have that time with him. Yeah. And, and yeah, because it's your dad, he's teaching you, he's not holding back. He's right. teaching you the, 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 this is how to do it, you know, giving you a fast track. And, and I think I learned more from those few months than I did in any wow. subsequent uh, business course. 
and then, and and he obviously wanted to le- to leave the legacy and and to kind of pass on the family business to you at that stage. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm one of seven goal. kids, so right. I, I had some other uh, siblings in the business as well. So yeah, he wanted yeah. to pass it on to us all. Very good, and I, I mean, an emotional time to be learning as well when you when you knew what the what the deadline was. Yeah, it certainly it focused the line, it focused yeah. the mind to say, right, how much can I get? Yeah. How much can we learn? But we'd sit and do the post in the morning, and it'd be, yeah. I'd run down to the post office, bring it back up to the house, and, and we'd go through the post together. And he'd tell me about well, yeah. it was just a great way. Well, actually, here's something in from Hong Kong. Here's something yeah. in from Singapore. Here's something from the states. Here's something from down the road. You yeah. know, um, so it was local and international. You know, it was it At was the same time. Yeah, yeah, it just really did kind of expand your mind. You know, the whole thing about you know your, your mind when it's like an elastic band when you stretch it out that far, it's never going to regain its original position. You yeah. know, it just really wrenched my eyes open to God. Right. That's what's out there. You know, because I was small town guy, small town kid. Yeah, you, know, you really hadn't seen the world that you know much of the world apart from you. Well, New York was a great experience, but it's just showing you what could be done in business uh, yeah. and 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 the expanse that's out there. Very good. And then you you, you how long did you spend working for the family business? Well, um, my second boss, uh, when Daddy passed away, um, the he had he had a right hand man who yeah. took over the reins because we were still only teenagers, um, myself and my brothers and sisters. Uh, so. He had trusted the, the, the business to his right-hand man, who was a park qualified accountant, who uh, it was a bit like chalk and cheese. Um, right. I had no respect for him, no trust. Uh, he w- yeah, and, and it was, you know, it was, an un- it was a, a, a difficult right. pair of boots to fill after your dad. Yeah. Um, he thought he had imagination and innovation, but he really didn't, didn't have it at all. And he and I clashed because, you know, I had a very certain idea about how I thought daddy, what daddy would like to have done next. And he and I could never agree on a single thing. And the weekend would come and, you know, it was a pretty big store. We had a lot of staff. The grid, we put the grid down. Except for my brother, we put the grid down and we'd watch the uh, the right-hand man go off for his weekend and yeah. I'd open the grid again and go in and do all the changes that he disagreed with that we couldn't agree. <laughs> oh, this is what Daddy would want to have done. So he'd arrive in on Monday morning, the whole brand new key cutting department, whole new gardening department. You know, I'd have revamped so you were, half uh, the store and it would flip, you know. You but, were corporate terrorists. In oh, the pure <laughs> terrorists, yeah. You couldn't. <laughs> there was ambushes waiting for him when he oh, came yeah, back on the Monday. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but that only, had only a certain amount of time that that could last for, I guess, in any business with that kind of behavior, but it was yeah. the way I, it was the only way I could see how yeah. I could, and you know, I, I think we all have a kind of, you know, I want to fulfill the legacy of my dad, you know, you have a lot of those kind of emotions, and you're yeah. a young bull with yes. very little yeah. experience of how to deal with people, and I think at that early stage, I knew I couldn't work for somebody else, uh, Right. but you know, it, in the end, he said, look at this guy, this young Brian, he's a pup, you know, he doesn't <laughs> understand any, yeah. any, 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 any uh, instruction. Uh, so it was kind of a case like either, either I'm going to go or he's, he's got to go. Right. So uh, there was that plus there was other, you know, I was looking for figures and uh, on the business and there, there wasn't forthcoming. Um, so I had to go and I left for England. Um, but it turned out that the guy wasn't just a, 
lacking in imagination. He was also lacking in ethics and oh, basic really? honesty. And and it turned out that he was a crooked, uh, a crooked accountant, unfortunately. And the, and the business went bust a few a few years later. I was I was in the UK at the time. Oh, uh, so this is it definitely a bad boss a situation. Yeah, yeah. In, um, in the worst in the worst manner possible. Yeah, it was. Uh, because he lacked some skills, I, and I, and, I, and you know, I think we all make mistakes. Where you know, uh, when you are in that, when you're leading a business, and you need a seat filled, we yeah. sometimes fill it with somebody who, who doesn't have the necessary competencies. I went on, you know, even though I saw my dad do that with him, I've made those mistakes. I, I, I I've done that too, yeah. and it's it's probably the greatest sin of a of a bad boss is putting people into positions that the person probably knows they're not qualified for and we kind of in the back of our mind know they're not qualified for yeah and that it's only going to end up in a train wreck but your dad probably thought it was a caretaker role uh, I, you know hoping that you know one of you would 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 step up in, within a few years to fill the to fill his shoes yeah do you know i think that's a, no no that was exact that was the plan yeah 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 that it was a caretaker and that one of these guys somebody's going to come in and and uh and yeah. succeed and, and do it uh, do the next succession and the next generation that 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 must have been pretty devastating from from the family point of view to to, to see the business go under like that then. It, it was it was hugely devastating i mean i was in england about three years by the time it eventually went bust because uh, right. you know when i left then i said look and i'm walking out that door i ain't coming back um yeah and i didn't i went to the uk and i, I came back 25 years later um wow. so but the business went Boston yeah for for family business that uh, you want to you know you want to continue to build that legacy that your father started to see it go down the Swanee and yeah. all those jobs lost within a very short space of time afterwards as well yeah after. you know yeah it was um, yeah it was it was hugely difficult for my mom yeah. and for my for my siblings yeah and they were still in the business where yeah anybody, so yeah absolutely but you know uh, unfortunately when you have a when you have a when you have a crook in there it's very yeah. difficult to know what's going on, particularly when you're most of us were teenagers, and uh, yeah, that that uh, you know that's that happens, and you know I've, I've met so many family businesses that have had similar, not dissimilar, you know, things Stories, happen yeah. where you someone is trusted, you know, a trusted expert. Do you think? Do you think in. the trust in a family business situation? Do you think that there is actually an imbalance of trust because there's a lot of there's a lot of closeness? in family businesses where people aren't questioned as much maybe i mean you you were the you were the terrorist <laughs> who was in there questioning everything mm. and when you left maybe that there wasn't as much questioning going on um there wasn't as much challenge yeah, because I mean, there is too much trust sometimes in a family business where we assume that everybody's got the best intent in mind well yeah yeah there is that and i guess yeah there's huge trust amongst family members i guess when you you, you know, it was kind of a sense, you know, when you're younger, you have a sense that there's something not quite right, but I can't yeah. put my finger on it. And, yeah. I, you know, I'm not saying that I knew what, what was wrong, but I knew there was something not right. Yeah. And my siblings thought so too. Right. But, you know, we, we kind of had the gun held to our head and it's like, well, either, you know, you've got to run with your dad's plan, which was me, this, this right hand, uh, this number two guy. Uh, or you can bloody keep him, and but I'm out of here. Um, so you know, for that was a, a gun put to the head. Yeah, that the family felt well, we can't take that risk. We need to keep this guy. So Brian, you tootle off and go on your. It was meant to be a six month apprenticeship. It was like Brian go over to the UK there, do a yes. six month hardware apprenticeship and cool off. That was the original plan, and come yeah. back and be more civilized to this guy. Um, 
but um, so so the the the, the decision at that time was to put manners on you. Yeah, and I, you know, in fairness, I needed manners putting on me. I was hot-headed, <laughs> over you know, overzealous, over opinionated, right? Nineteen-year-old, you know. So it's not so much uh, good boss, bad bosses. Uh, good boss, bad staff too. Is it? Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, you said absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It works both ways. Yeah, but did so. So that that clash and that and that that situation. I mean, it must it must have influenced between between how you got into the family business, which was under emotional and dramatic circumstances of your dad saying you need to come home and mm. uh, I've, I've you know I haven't got much much longer left and then that situation of within three years uh, uh, as you say an ethically corrupt person had had run the business into the ground mm. how did that influence you then as you went you went forward in your own career yeah I, I guess it, it really galvanized for me uh, well I, I, I had a huge distrust for accountants <laughs> right, uh, which I think still lives, and you know, I ended up build, starting and building one of the biggest specialist accountancy firms in the UK. After that, I, I was going to say, without we should let everybody know that ethical accountants are to be found. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's there are there are plenty. There yeah. are, believe me, oh, the vast vast majority. But I guess um, the accountancy profession has had uh, hammering over the years from corporate down to SME down to contractor you know one man band uh, servicing one one man band which is what we do um, yeah there's, there's been there's been good and bad like in any service industry um, and we just tried to bring I guess it forced me I said well customers I think we talk about good boss bad boss uh, for me the, bo- the boss has always been the customer and the customer you know, as, as I went on through my career uh, the customer told me that, and, and in in one instance, you know, we need a better accountant, and just one customer after the next continued to to ask, "Can you can you do our?" Because I ended up from maybe I just reeled back a wee bit. Yeah, so you're in England. Yeah, you, you you were in England, and and you worked in a few places, obviously. And then when did you set up on on your own then? Yeah, well, it's sorry to, to uh, I've I've jumped ahead we've, there, yeah, without, leaked, and that yeah. wouldn't make any sense. I'll, I'll put a wee bit context to it. Yeah, so I left uh, 1989 and went on a, a six month apprenticeship to a, a friend of my dad, a fellow called Robert Dias. He had a, a, a 12 or 15 stores around London, hardware stores. So um, I went on a six month apprenticeship over there. And what did I, you know, I had bosses there, didn't learn a, you know, a particular huge amount, I guess. I was, you know, st- stacking shelves and seeing how yeah. different, how hardware stores worked in the UK. Worked at the head office for a bit in the in the warehouse and the, in in the in the picking and sorting, uh, you know, trucks to go out to the various branches. But the one thing I did learn was no matter what you're doing, uh, you know, I felt dejected, rejected. Um, I'm out and I'm over in, in England. Uh, you're in exile as a young fella, exiled, and I decided I ain't going back. Right. Uh, I'm on eighty quid a week. Stacking shelves in the gardening department in Robert Dyer's hardware store. Um, and one day I was asked, oh, someone cut a bit of linoleum for this guy. And I said, oh, no, I'll do, I'll do that. I went over with my Stanley knife and I'm cutting the, the linoleum and I'm chatting away to this terribly awful, li- awfully nice chap, you know, sorry type of guy. <laughs> and he, he says to me, oh, you carry yourself very well. I said, oh, th- th- thank, you, thank you very much. Yeah, how, how's yourself? Yeah. Just doing the usual chitter chatter Irish bit, you know. And I'm cutting his line away, and he says to me, he says, mm, 
do come across very, very well. Have you ever, have you ever considered a higher paid career? I said, uh, higher paid career? <laughs> well, <laughs> I don't know what the answer is yet, but I consider anything. <laughs> it's on 80 quid a week. Uh, and from there, he, it turned out he was a headhunter for an insurance company. Right. Uh, called GAN, General Portfolio was called at the time, but it went on to General Assurance National. So I went along to Basingstoke at a hotel uh, at Basingstoke, and it was a recruitment seminar to become a self-employed, commission-only insurance, door-to-door insurance guy. Right. And, well, I saw the Lamborghinis and the Ferraris and the Porsche parked outside. I said, as long as it's legal in there, I'm going to whatever they're, whatever they're doing, I'm, I want to be in. And I went along and I signed up to be, I guess, it, it, was it a job? Because there was no salary. There was no, you know, you had to yeah. bring your briefcase, go on a training course and come out the other end as a financial advisor, which, you know, it was, it was, the, it, it was a real conveyor belt of get as, as many agents out there as possible. Yes, there was two yeah. and a half thousand agents with GAN at the time. But I loved it. Um, I didn't have any contacts. You know, normally you were expected to bring your, your list of family and friends to sell insurance to but you know i had family in birmingham but so you, you were you were a stranger seven. in a strange land so yeah they were all aunties uh, up in birmingham they're all nuns and they don't buy pensions <laughs> and life insurance up there so their souls are taken care of <laughs> they're kind of taken care of yeah so i just went out and about door knocked and uh and within two years i was in the top 100 uh sales out of two and a half thousand i'm just it just it's really just fit it fit my fit my personality Excellent. to just go door to door and i just got in involved with this because uh, my uh, i think with someone's idea of a joke i was posted to a a town called aldershot um, in oh, hampshire it's a uh, uh, garrison town it's that's correct famous, that's yeah. absolutely right yeah it's garrison town fifty five thousand squatties so there i was 1989 this is september i finished by six months in my in the apprenticeship because i thought i'd see that out and in september 89, I started in, in, in uh, the Aldershot office of this insurance company going door to door. So I was an, a paddy, an Irish guy, sending life assurance to soldiers, British soldiers going to normally Northern Ireland or yes. Germ- Germany in the middle of an IRA bombing campaign, you know. <laughs> so it was, uh, I think it was somebody's idea of a joke, the stick the Irish guy into the, into yeah. the, the British army The small talk camp. was taken care of. Yeah, you kind of, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but met loads of lovely people and it turned out that's how the business started uh, I, I did that for eight I was eight nine years yeah at GAN and most of my clients were army guys who were in the either telecoms or in the engineering corps yeah within core within the within the army and then Maggie Thatcher in the 92 93 made a bunch of them redundant and then a lot of them ended up getting a payout and then going into contracting yeah and at that stage, IT and telecoms contracting was... was in a boom then at that w- stage, yeah. Well, it was kind of getting going. Emerging, the boom yeah. was, was beginning. You could, it was just crescendo. We didn't know where it was going to go, but it was just starting. Uh, yeah. Contracting was a new career, another way of, of, of working, a very new way of working. And I just followed these guys all out in, into contracting and did all their life and pensions and mortgage and healthcare and replaced, oh, you know, they moved out of the army and started up on their own so they needed a whole bunch of, of benefits to replace so that's what i did and and they were highly paid guys you know instead of putting in 
50 quid a month into a pension, you could add a zero to it. You know, wow. it, was, it was 500 a month. And by doing that, you added a zero to your, your paycheck, your, your commission, commission yeah. check. So for doing the same amount of work. So I kind of uh, uh, figured that. And was it still, even even eight years later, was it still commission only at that stage? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, wow. the, the, some proper regulation came in, proper qualifications came in. Yeah. Uh, you had to you had to go through your qualifications to say stay in, and you know the population was about, and it was nearly a quarter of a million financial advi- people who call themselves financial advisors in the UK at that stage, yeah. but it dropped down to about seventy thousand when they brought in the regulations. When they brought in the regulations, so, which was great for us. Um, you you know if you were serious about it and serious about delivering good ethical financial advice and delivering the service to to these guys, particularly these high net worth guy, high net income people wanted uh, that service. And who, so who, was, who was your boss at that stage? Like, so, so you're, you're working, you're working essentially for yourself, mm. but under this umbrella, is it? So, or, or do, did you have a boss that was demanding results? Yeah, you had a branch manager who would, who would sign off the work that you were doing. Uh, but apart from that, you were just, you were a self-employed agent. You know, if you didn't right. work, you didn't get paid. You know, if your books, if the business didn't stay on the books, you, you claw back. You know, you see, you, you kind of ran your own little. Yeah, you're a self-employed yeah. agent, so you just got it's on like with a, it. Like a franchise, nearly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I built a team. I had about 20, 22 other financial advisors that I recruited and brought into my team. Right. And we specialized in 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 contractors. And so at that stage, that that was your first experience of being the boss. Yeah. You know, essentially, that was that th- those people that you recruited in were your first employees even yeah. though they w- they would have been self-employed in the it's same well, way yeah yeah and i had yeah i guess i i had somebody i would consider my boss uh, he was on my commission tree he was getting a cut on my commission further yeah. up and yeah you came across good and bad in that respect you know i remember having one guy who was my super my compliance supervisor and who was your kind of boss but it was half motivating you to get out and door, do more door knocking half making sure that you were doing things compliantly and he you know i remember Talking about bad boss, I remember coming in one Monday morning and I had, I had no appointments in the calendar, so I had to really get myself a bit revved up. Yeah. And I went saying, oh, hi, Matt, uh, not feeling great. He said, don't talk to me today, I'm in a bad mood. <laughs> and I went, but you're my, but you're my boss. <laughs> you're telling me don't talk to you. I need to rev myself up to go out and get prospects. And you're telling me don't, don't, don't annoy you because you're not in a good mood today. Which had, that had a dramatic effect. It's like how how do you bring your? He obviously was he was having problems at home, wherever it was. But that taught me is that you know once you step over the threshold going in yeah. to your job to your work, that you leave all of that all those problems behind you. Yeah. Because you bring a problem you know that you have outside of work into work, and you've now got two problems. Now I'm not saying. And I think for him telling me, don't, don't annoy me today, I'm not in a good mood, that really crystallized for me is, is that you really do have to try not bring your problems into the office. But at the same time over the years, it's looking at, and, and when I talk to my peers in, who are entrepreneurs, guys, running their, guys and gals running their own business, you talk to them and you, you know, we have a, we have a, a forum that months meets up once a month. Yeah. You're one of the, the, the founders of entrepreneurs Ireland, of course. That's, that's right. The, yeah. 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 So yeah, that, that's gone a, a number of years now since, since you got back, I suppose, from England. Yeah. We came back from the UK. We have it. We had an, an EO uh, chapter in, in, in London. And when I came back to Ireland, there was none here. So 
yeah, we started that back then. That was in recession years, kind of 12, 13. So yeah. the timing was great because people were kind of coming out or you know, trying to get into that recovery mode. Um, and yeah, and we built just a, yeah, we've got, we've got a yeah. great chapter here in Ireland, a very strong chapter of fascinating um, guys and gals who, who've, who, who have all, are all founders, founders of their own business. But yeah, within that group, you see people who might have stuff going on outside of their business, yeah. but the dramatic effect that it has when they on, on their business yeah but then once they sort out when they sort out their their issues externally you know whether it's family relationship kids you know when they sort out those issues hey presto their business starts performing again yeah and i think a good boss will spot a, a member of their team who's having an issue um i used to be like leave it behind you're coming over that threshold leave it behind leave those problems behind and that, and that was it yeah and that was it um yeah. i think it's yeah you know, and maybe in the latter years uh, for me in business was trying to find out how they're getting on at home do they need more flexibility do they need a bit of space to get something something sorted out so it's accepting that they they can't leave it all behind yeah Th- that they do bring it regardless of whether you want them to bring it or not it's coming yeah yeah, yeah. and that you get a better performance if their headspace is right yeah and just taking that time to allow them some time. Um, so how do, you, how, how do you balance that? So as a boss, you kind of need to leave it behind because, you know, especially as, a, as the, the big boss, you know, you're answerable to nobody. So you have to leave it behind. But then you also have to kind of hold that position where you accept that other people can't leave it behind and you have to kind of uh, uh, support them in what's going on in their life. Mm. So... Um, how how did you manage that as the boss? Who who does that for you? How did you keep your head straight so that you could help keep other people's heads straight in work? I guess um, I've always had a mentor, formal right. or informal. Uh, I've al- I've always had a professional coach, executive right. coach. Um, I've had a spiritual coach. Uh, I've had a tennis coach. I've had, you know, I think I, I think one point five or six different coaches. Uh, right, and that I think keeps you on the straight and narrow. Um, yeah, just having those trusted experts. Uh, I had a great mentor. His name is Frank. Um, guy who lived in London from Galway, but lived in London for 30, 40 years. And we would meet, he was teetotaler. We'd meet and have a pot of tea in yeah. Notting Hill. And I would discuss all the problems that I had. And he would sit and listen and listen. And I do, I do, <laughs> he's just an incredible guy. It was uh, an introduction from a friend back in 1989 when, you know, when I was going into financial services, uh, there was yeah. two people who helped me at that stage saying, what? Because my family back home were going what are, you, what are you doing you're going you're selling life assurance and you're, you're meant to be coming back to the hardware store no 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 i'm going to do so it's so, all well, okay we can't stop you doing that so they sent put me in touch with a couple of people yeah. and those people two people in particular were mentors for me i was just so fortunate to have those yeah. mentors and they stuck with me through from 1989 right well right for one right through to yesterday i was talking to him um right. you know there's there's um yeah, I think it's important to have as many coaches or mentors or, uh, you know, whether they're paid or unpaid. Yeah, I think it's important to have a paid... So, so 30 years of, of mentoring and coaching that you'd, you know, that, that that's something that stayed with you as a... Uh, yeah, no, it, didn't, it wasn't called mentoring or coaching at the time, but that's what it was. Um, yeah. And it, it was 
damn good at the time because you know there wasn't any form you know now we you know there's so many where we met at the IMI there's so many phenomenal um, uh, coaching and executive coaching courses uh, for people in within business or, or people who want to make a career of it yeah but uh, yeah I was just very fortunate to have the type of people around who for some reason just had my interest in heart at heart yeah and were experienced to be able to say you know because you had that coach I, I, I think coaching mentoring you know I, I think 80% of it is coaching, 20% is mentorship, mentoring. Mm. And what, my, what I mean by that is, and you, you know, whether you have a boss or whether you are a boss, it's, it's you know, being, is there listening, you know, within, ev- within everybody, there is the answer to every, to most questions. Mm. Uh, and as our friend Michael Cattle says, the, the, the brain works, the mind works best in the presence of a, of a good question, yeah. you know. And it's so darn true. And then allowing, as a boss, allowing the time for somebody just to sit and contemplate, reflect on the question that you've put to them mm. without rushing them, without, because as bosses, we just, and particularly as entrepreneurial bosses, we're so impatient and want to get on with it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and it's, it is a trait and I see it I, as much as you, you try and recognize it and change it in yourself. You, you, some, the entrepreneurial type has a lot, you know, there's so many flaws there because we want because we're driven because we've invested our own money you know in a lot of cases yeah you know either our family friends or our own the bottom line is the bread line (laughs) yeah and which pushes you to perhaps be have leadership skills that you wouldn't that you wouldn't know that you wouldn't normally have i know whereas there are some business people who will be able to sit back uh every entrepreneur has a sense of 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 urgency, but some are able to, I guess, uh, uh, keep that sense of urgency, but also keep that sense of patience and allow their people time to think right. and make their own mind up rather yeah. than having this dictatorial, autocratic type of leadership, which happens a lot. Of, I, I'd say that now in the startup, in the, yeah, in the, the startup, entrepreneurs, yeah. in the entrepreneurial startup stage, it's all kind of, it's all a bit flustered and, and yeah I often, I often think that 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 um entrepreneurs when they start they're sometimes on their own and that they're kind of a, a man with a van mm-hmm. and a mobile phone mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and they forget to leave that behind after they get yeah staff <laughs> so true because it's well it's not you it's not just you now you mm-hmm. you have another responsibility mm-hmm. but they still have that sense of as you say urgency that's well every day it's it's this fight and struggle and yeah. and I expect everybody else to have that yeah. kind of attitude when I go in as yeah. well. I've I've seen that and I wonder yeah. how do you break out of that? Is it through the mentorship and the coaching as well? It is. Um but even with all the mentorship and coaching we still don't do it, you know, we still ignore it. Yeah. It's it's a really that's a really interesting observation because it is so true. We you know, particularly when you're going from startup to scale up yeah, and then into a, you know we had six offices up and down the country. We were sixty million, sixty million turnover with hundred odd staff, but I was still treating it like it was a still still a little cold little old me. Yeah, yeah. And in hindsight, what would I have done? And, and what I did in the latter part of my business is uh, of of that business was to with your key people as much as you can, and I'd be a fairly private person, is to sit down with them and say, Here, here's my life plan. 
here's where I'm, what stage I'm at in the business. Uh, this is my, my life cycle and, and I'm at, the, at this stage of my life in the business and I might be a little bit tired because you know, you've been full blast for five years, nonstop, no holiday, just da da da, you know, and you're loving it, yeah. but you're at a certain point where you have a burnout. And the right thing to do, like say for me back in, in the, uh, maybe year five in my business, I just kind of went, okay, I'm the boss. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take some time off now. I'm going to do this, 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 this. I don't need to explain it to anybody because I am the boss. Yeah. And I'm with my van and my mobile phone. You know, but actually, no, there's a whole bunch of offices and people who are relying on you. Yeah. Uh, but you kind of still have that misplaced arrogance, I think, uh, right. that, no, I'm the bloody boss, you know? Um, and looking back on it, it was just, uh, that, it was a big a big error is like no you're not you're not running a little tin pot show you yeah. know you, you you need to explain to people where you're at and i kind of felt well well who am i to who do i need to explain anything to anybody i don't need to explain anything to anybody yeah. um but it was more in, in hindsight what i should, should have done and what i've done at, since then is say here's where i'm at this is this you know i want a lifestyle business or i want a mega growth business or you know is to sit down with the people and you know you either might have this the type of boss that I'm talking about, or you might be that that boss. Yeah, and you can have that kind of entrepreneurial mindset with all its good and bad in startups, in scale ups, in established companies, in 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 PLCs. You can have those. You can have the type of characters yeah. that we're talking about, and entrepreneurship. Entrepreneurship is something that I'm fascinated about. But you might be that soldier or you might have a boss that's one of those. Um, And all I would encourage there is that everybody, if you have that transparency and saying, well, I'm at this, this is where I want to bring it. Uh, Or this is, you know, this is the journey I've been on so far. This is where I think there could be an opportunity for you because I want to take it a little bit easier. But maybe there's an opportunity for you to develop Mm. and progress. And I think I would, I could have avo- avoided a lot of bumps in the road had I right. taken a different attitude. Would you call them your bad boss moments? Absolutely, yeah, on a, yeah, absolutely, unashamed, ashamedly, on a, you know, unveiled. Yeah, they're my bad boss moments. Yeah, yeah. Where you, and there, I mean, there's plenty of them. Yeah. So yeah, we've 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 kind of skipped a little bit. So what happened after the 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 life assurance and that you actually set up your own company then? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and. Uh, uh, what was it called at the time? Was it the same name the whole way through? Uh, it was uh, the Ashton Partnership for two years where I, I was in a partnership with a, an accountant and then he retired. And then I went two years later, 1998, started 360. Right, okay, yeah. As a, that was just focusing on, on UK contractors, IT and telecoms contractors. Yeah, and then you grew, that, you, that that's the business that you grew and you've been in since. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and you're, you're, you've, more recently, you've kind of uh, exited that business now. That's right, yeah, yeah, just yeah. in November gone, yeah, exited that after 20 years. And so that, that's a lot of time being a boss, and uh, as you say, not, ha- not having a boss. Uh, you, when, when I asked you to do this, initially you were like, but Stephen, I haven't had too many bosses. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, but as you can see, you know what I mean, the things that stick with you from those bosses, I mean, going back to when you were a teenager even, you know, that, that's the influence bosses have, you know? Mm, and then you, you were a boss, and we talked about the times that you were maybe not a good boss. Mm-hmm. But what do you think of the times that where you were a really good boss? What what do you think made the difference to your staff being a, a, a good boss? 
I think, um, you know, it's, it's, we, 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 I could probably concentrate and talk more about how it was more of a bad boss. Uh, We're pre-programmed to look at that. Aren't we? <laughs> it's, it's incredible. Uh, yeah. But I think it's useful because I'd seen the outcome and then by and changing that habit, that behavior made me become us, a better give us, boss. Give us the bad boss. Give us the I bad know, boss I know, moment. I know. Like, yeah, give us your stellar s- bad boss moment. Real so <laughs> I think when I, I'm going to make you feel really bad about it. Is, yeah, yeah, really. <laughs> <laughs> whip, whip ourselves. The, I think, particularly in a in a in a business environment, we have. You know, I'm a high D. You know the disc profile. Yes, yeah. Dominant DI, style, yeah. Dominance, influence, steadiness, compliance. Yeah. I'm a D. I'm a high D, high I guy. My I is higher so than for, the T. So for people who don't have their Jungian <laughs> theory up to date, uh, this is. Uh, where if you're a high D, you're very task focused and very fast paced. That'd be correct, yeah? Correct. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And you surround yourself with people who are like we are, don't we? Yeah. And I had recruited a bunch of people, particularly on the sales side, who were like I was, who are like I am still. Results oriented Results people. Results driven, yeah. you know, uh, people. And you end up with a fair, you end up a group think. That that people who are not like we are ended up, and this is something that I learned was when looking. I give you an example. We built software, our, our payroll software, back in the early two thousand, and it was it was leading edge. Everything was going well. Things were going online. We built it on .NET technology. It was it was a really clever bit of kit. And myself and my sales director, another high D high I guy, of course. We would be adding on modules, bolt-ons to this software going, this is going to, we're going to kill the market with this, you know. And the the high S, high C accountant payroll guy would be kind of putting his hand up, but not really. And we go, yeah, let's go ahead, ton of cash into that. And hey, presto, nobody ever used that, those bolt-ons, you know, those right. extra bits and the... High S, high C guys go, well, well we, we, we tried, we told you, you know. No, you didn't, no, you didn't, you know. But, you know, people are just, I guess it's recognizing all the different types. It seems like such an obvious leadership point to make is that recognizing every, every different type. You know, we've talked about the Enneagram, uh, the different types. You know, there, there are, the disc profile talks about four different character yeah. types. But there are, you know, Myers-Briggs, yeah. Myers you know. There are so many different types, and, and, and I think for a while I'd built a company with just so top-heavy of one type, yeah. D, high Ds and high Is. And, 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 and it tends to be though, that those types that rise, to, you know, I mean, the, mm. the entrepreneur needs to be results-focused. Mm. The entrepreneur needs to be task-focused. So, I mean, you can tend to actually have a lot of companies that actually get a bit of red, a bit of high D, mm. and, and results-focused and task-focused at the top because that's what was needed at the time, mm. you know, at, at the start. But finding the balance after that period of kind of uh, burning platform is finished is, is the key, isn't it? Yes, yes. And that's what did follow. And that's something that I did recognize. And I became, I think... Only after you threw a load of cash at something that didn't work. Oh, though. there was a couple of trainers going, oh, how did that happen? It's just because we were all jollying along on that bus and then nobody thought... Train, of... train wreck is probably... Actually, the, it, it's probably like having a train versus having everybody putting on a backpack and hiking paths. Because it's like, actually, this is the track we're going. Mm. You're either on or you're off. Correct. Yeah. Whereas 
when you're at a stage where you kind of say, okay, we're going to move through this, uh, this, this forest now. Can everybody find a path mm. through here and we'll pick the best one? That's a great analogy, be, actually, because it was so it. far away from the, 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 the backpack and the, and the path up the hill, which was actually the journey. But yeah. isn't it funny? Just the use of language yeah, there. Yeah, the train wreck just risked. The train. Because like, oh, yeah. it was one track. But you got everybody on It's board. either get on the seat. You know, it was all Jim Collins. And we were doing all of that, you know, making sure yeah. the right people in the right seats. But, you know, we, we had people in the seats, but we thought <laughs> there were... But there were... There were similar salesy type of guys, but actually we needed someone who was more, far more methodical, yeah. more, more, you know, there were, it's just, we see, feel so comfortable being surrounded and, you know, particularly when you're the boss and making the ultimate decisions on, on, on selection and resourcing, <laughs> you know, the, the, the responsibility stops directly here. Yeah. So then it was really just looking at people with different competencies and recognizing that just because they don't, give that first impression yeah and that we're impressed because we see a lot of ourselves in them yeah i went looking for totally different people and you deliver after that experience you deliberately went out and went hang on I need yeah to, and I need, we I need found some here. cracking you know from from because we you know we ran four different parts of the business one was financial services where i came from the other was accounting the other was payroll and the other was international contracts and, you know, finding, diff, you know, you had to get the right levels of skill yeah. in each of those departments. Now, you know, in some cases you had to kiss many frogs to get find eventually the, the right person. But, you know, we've had, you know, Steve has been with me since 2002. He bought out the financial services side, hugely competent guy. And others who, you know, they just, I, I really believe that good people don't need managing. Right. They require maybe a bit of inspiration a bit of guidance it's it's a different uh it's a different dynamic when when you've chosen when you've got that right and when you've chosen somebody it's a two-way process it yeah. used to be i'm the boss i've got the job impress me you know it's that's long since gone um choosing that you know and for the employee, and it's as much the responsibility of the of the individual joining joining an organisation. Say, does do they have the right values and the right direction, the right mission, the same mission that I'm looking? Not, it's not a right or wrong. It's well, it matches mm. your value, whether your values match theirs. And later on, we 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 would do value exercises to see, well, what direction does the company want? What kind of people do we want on board? And that made our decision making so much easier particularly in selection of people. If right. you've got crystal clear values, you see somebody walking through the door after five minutes, you know, they don't, they don't take all the value boxes. So right. it's a decision. So you, and you and would hire for, for that. the whole panel. Mm. You would hire for that kind of value fit in your, yeah. in your company. Yeah. And, the, and that, I suppose, then helps the, 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 the clashes that, you know, you, you don't need. Because if, if you have the same values, you can always kind of rely on that base uh, when you're having any conflict. It's like, well, we know that we're here for the same reasons and, and we have the same values. At, at, yeah, at I mean, when, I, when the team, you know, it, it's, it's difficult to have a team that's humming constantly. Yeah. I, I guess I do know guys and gals who got companies that seem to just tick and hum perfectly all the time. I haven't figured out the, the, yeah. the magic of that. Because uh, for me, there were certain periods of uh, eras of the company that wow we just absolutely killed it and then other times when we didn't 
and I had to regather, uh, re- yeah. regroup. I guess I'd probably say that the key thing is they seem to. <laughs> they seem to, hum, yes, yeah. but they probably don't. Like, yeah. I mean, because because of all the reasons we've talked about, that people are bringing different things at different times. You know, to, to you know, things are happening in their lives. You know, humming constantly isn't isn't an mm. option. You know, it, no, I guess you're right. Actually, yeah, it is a perception. I mean, when when I mean when you talked about the good boss, bad boss, um, I was talking at what about the the boss, good time boss or bad time boss? Yeah, and just the different dynamic of the good and bad boss in those two different yes. eras. Yeah. And I guess it's it's easy it's easy to be a good boss in good times. Yeah, it's, when it's, it's humming. When like it's a, humming, exactly, when yeah. You look like a brilliant boss. If you're a bad boss in good times, you really, you really need to look at whether leadership is your gig or not, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's a different story. I think it's 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 hard to be a good boss in bad times. It's very easy to be a bad boss in bad times. Yeah. And what does a good boss in bad times look like? I guess somebody, you know, the bad in in bad times. I guess giving giving you some examples. When we came out of, we had between 1998 and 2002, 2001, you know, we had three or four years of an incredible run um, where I started the business and contracting was just really taking flight. We had Y2K coming up in the year 2000. People were being dragged out of retirement to go contracting to fix the Y2K bug. Graduates were being thrown and 25, 30 quid an hour contract straight out of grad you're straight out yeah. of school and we were we were we were, we set up their company did all their payroll so, so it, it was, was just gangbusters you know it was the brexit of its day oh what <laughs> but in a positive <laughs> in a positive this was a growth thing uk yeah. there was a growth uk exciting uk not that everybody's sitting on their hands in the uk brexit which is the most is the saddest thing i've seen happen um to the uk it's very unfortunate but hopefully that will change in the very near distant yeah. in the very near future at the time though you know in in good times growth times it's so easy to give people pay rises and great reviews and massive staff event you know christmas yeah. you know parties and 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 you know the whole time it was it just seemed like a party you know yeah uh, opening offices it were customers coming through the door it's such a different dynamic. And, and my dad used to say, you know, you, even a turkey can, with a good enough headwind, yeah. even a turkey, even a turkey will fly. And we were a little yeah. bit like that. And then when the wind died down or came to an abrupt halt in 2001, starting with 9-11, and then right. the dot-com, all the dot-com hype, if you recall at the time, yeah, they did was that found long. out. Uh, it's like, oh, these totally overvalued uh, companies who had poured huge amounts of investment in and in turn took on lots of contractors all of that came to an end lots of our contractors were were were, were uh, terminated or took 40 50 percent rate cuts so it was a really tough time the floor you know, the the in 2001 after 9 11 the, the 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 phones just stopped ringing you know wow. so that plus more competition in the market. Yeah. Uh, you know, when, when we started, there was maybe four or five competitors. You know, there's now 300. You know, it's just huge. And a lot of that is a race to the bottom on pricing. Yeah. So we decided at that stage, well, you know, then when the tide goes out, 
you know, you're back to your question, how do you manage in bad times? How, what does good man, good boss look like? I think at that point, a good manager in bad times needs to be decisive, needs to consult, but needs to be decisive and come out with one message, one time, and in a very swift manner. Right. And I think a lot of times we can be accused as business leaders to when, when things are going wrong, a bit like this government was back in 2006, 7, 8, 9, mm. 10, in denial, you know, soft landings and all that yeah. BS. In business people, we can do the same and, and be somewhat in denial, a little bit of, uh, you know, head in the sand. But I think in cases where we've had to grasp the nettle, we went in there with one message try to make the cut whatever cuts needed to be made to make it as deep as possible but only to do it once and just say to the rest of the people we're okay that the rest this is this is going to be okay we're going to have to make these changes this this and this yeah and this is going to see us through the next two years until we're back into the next cycle um and that worked really really well and and then just keeping the communication open i think good boss looks at okay the budget may not be there anymore but how can we be creative with yeah. our staff, you know, our team events? Okay, before we had huge budgets and they were sponsored by life insurance companies or providers, yeah. you know, did all of that fell away. Um, and it's just looking at the more simple things of what keeps people, why, why are people happy at their work? Um, yeah. And explaining here's, here's where we are. Here's what, because, you know, in, in bad times, you're not the only one that's suffering. Your competitors are suffering, but more so our clients are suffering. Yes. Our customer is suffering and is demanding more. So when they demand more, unless you either respond to that, and in our instance, uh, over the years, they would say, well, actually, we want a lower, we want you to knock this work out at a lower cost, and we, there needs to be a rebate involved. Mm. And kind of oh, not almost overnight, but over a pretty short time, we had to rejig our business model. Yeah. And said to people, "Sorry, we're going to have to close down offices. We're going to have to outsource to India." So we opened up an office in Bangalore. We're going to have to beef up the software that it automates more, and which meant uh, losing jobs. Um, but the people that were left were happy because they saw, "Wow, this is a business model that yeah. works. It's profitable." serves the customer and you know has has surfed with the with the change rather than going to the side um yeah so, so i think decisive in, good communication and a clear plan mm. is essentially what what you know i i you know a few of the, the those things ring true uh, you know i think a lot of people when they hit a crisis they can go into lockdown mode where they they batten the hatches and mm -hmm. forget to communicate is one of the big things they yeah. kind of feel that if they don't have anything to communicate, well, then there's nothing, I'll say nothing. And that vacuum then breeds a whole lot of rumor and conjecture and whatever else might be happening. And then people, people's thoughts go away from themselves. Whereas if you do clearly communicate, that makes a big difference for sure. Hugely. And, and, you, and you, you keep people that you really do want to keep. Uh, otherwise, yeah. those who are, the talent will, will fly. And, you know, yeah. we've lost some amazing talent who've gone on to do do great things anyway but it's pity they didn't do it with us but yeah it was perhaps the communication wasn't as clear as it could have been but yeah when particularly in the tough time it's, it's easy to stand up and give that rah-rah message yeah. from the helm 
captured Tano, you yeah. know, because everything is is, is tickety boo and going in a, yeah, a hockey yeah. stick growth. But when things ain't so good, it's it's a, it's a more difficult nettle to grasp and get up there and say, here, this is how it is. But you know, the talent, you know, the smart, the clever people within your business will say, look, we need we need you to to communicate. And when you do, they stay. When you they, when you don't. Yeah, they'll go to the the the, the to, to to the next business owner down the road who is willing to do that. That's a really good uh, message for us to kind of close up on. Is um, it's not just about being a good boss or bad boss. It's about being a good boss uh, all the time, <laughs> good and bad times. Mm. It's uh, it's not just it's not just about being good or bad. Uh, yeah, you really have to flex your your style at different times. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've had quite a journey, uh, I, I suppose. You know, from from that. Uh, Wall Street. I I thought that was going a different way when you said, "Yeah, I went straight into Wall Street, moving chairs." <laughs> uh, but uh, to to the family business, to you know what what must have been an emotional time with the family business, then then striking out in exile on your own, um, in in England and and finding a niche, I suppose, is, is what you did in Aldershot with the the, the squaddies and then the, riding that wave when they when they went off into telecoms and IT starting your own business you know growing that business and and now here you are so i suppose the last thing i'd, I'd be interested to finish up and to put a little bit of gentle pressure on you is uh what's next for brian keegan <laughs> i kind of figured you might ask this <laughs> it's 2019 uh a bit of daytime tv a bit of jeremy <laughs> <laughs> uh i don't know it's it's you know, after twenty or th- probably thirty years going going at it, um, you know, something actually that I got out of uh, a course that that we, you and I were on was the the concept of a third act. Yeah. You know that we have our first act, which is our education and developmental years, our second act, which is our careers, making money, taking on mortgages, you know, uh, getting married, having kids, you know, that that second act. And then the third act is, you know, when you've done all of that, uh, now what do you really consider? What are you going to do for the next 20 or 30 years? Cause, and, and there's even now the concept that you'll have a fourth act. You know? Right. I'm in my 50s. Uh, I want to do something for the next 20 years that revs the sock out, socks out of me. Uh, and even after that, there'll be a fourth, there'll be a fourth act, you know, because, yeah. you know, our life expectancy, if we're halfway decent to our bodies, we'll be hitting... 90 or the late 90s you know yeah and, and being active with it um and i think the longer we go you know I, I i've always learned the greatest things from people who are i've always hung out with senior people who are far more senior than i and actually funny enough i hang out with 20 something year olds who go yeah yeah you're you're about the same bloody mental age brian sometimes come when, <laughs> when we go partying but you know uh, there's just uh i think there's a uh, there's no age specific to, to when you should stop working or when you it's it's when you feel you have no more energy left which I think is the day before you die but what will I do now yeah I don't know I, the 2019 is going to be long answer there but I haven't even answered it I, uh, there is no answer to that not in this not this year yeah. there's already stuff that's coming around I'm going to let the universe tell me and then decide at the end of 2019 Brian it's been absolutely fantastic talking to you and thanks for inviting me into your home to for the Good Boss Bad Boss podcast that that was that was some journey you brought us on there and i hope uh, people took a lot of um, lessons out of it pleasure thanks very much thank you
a huge thanks to Brian for sharing so openly. He's a brilliant guy and I would recommend anyone looking for an engaging speaker to contact me and I will put you in touch with Brian. Also thanks to his family. Some people invite you into their house, but Brian and his wife Kerry and their children always welcome you to their home. Full of fun and laughter and some amazing animals, including a photobomb from the largest dog I have ever met. Shout out to Finn. If you have a guest you'd like to hear from or you have some comment on this show, please drop me a mail at stephen at stephennorton.com or you can find more from me at www.stephennorton.com. I'll be back next month with another good boss, bad boss guest. But until then, goodbye. Goodbye.